This is an ABC podcast. 40 years ago, Sydney's music scene was pumping. It was so fortunate because every pub had a band playing every night. The Angels, Midnight Oil, Mental as Anything. Split Ends, Early, Early in Excess, Sunny Boys. This is it, folks! It was a great time to be in a band. You literally digged every night of the week. Try out new songs, try out things on stage and learn your craft. An even better time to be a music fan. We would lie to our parents and say we were going to a movie and go into the city, catch this band, and then catch the train home. And on the way home, me and my girlfriends would talk about what movie did we see if our parents quiz us about it. Oh, it was a great movie. So we were just cheeky little devils. Hi, Kirsty Melville here with the History Listen the mythology around Sydney's pub rock scene of the early 1980s is a lot like the carpet at any gritty inner-city music venue. Patchy. But there's one show that sticks out. I mean, there's a whole lot of you fuckers. Let's hear it. A gig that helped define the era, just as the local music scene was hitting a peak. Sorry, officer. Sorry. In January 1982, several bands at very different stages of their career came together to play a free outdoor concert at Wanda Beach. Young fans wore the experience as a badge of honour. For some, it changed their lives. Sort of set me up for festivals and concerts and things like that. Totally worth being at because it was just such an amazing gig. I've always got to be up the front. I've got to get up the front. For the bands, two of them would go on to perform on the world stage and change Australian rock forever. Here's Double J's Gab Burke with a day at the beach. And a heads up, there's a little bit of strong language coming up. 30 kilometres south of Sydney CBD on Darawa country in the Sutherland Shire is Wanda Beach. Wanda Beach is along the same stretch of coastline as Cronulla Beach. There's a big hill down to the water covered in lush green grass and coastal pines. There's a surf club, a playground and an outdoor gym. The streets closest to the beach are packed full of multi-million dollar houses. But in 1982, Wanda Beach was very different. I grew up in Cronulla in the era of puberty blues. I left school in year 10 in 1981. When local girl Becky Swan says it was the era of puberty blues, she means it literally. We actually watched the filming of puberty blues on the beach and they used my boyfriend's surfboard at the time. Growing up in the Shire in the 80s was carefree. Riding the bike around, just hanging out at the beach, hanging out at the corner shop. I don't remember going to the movies very much. It was too expensive. That's about all kids could really do then. Wherever the wind blows, when it blows over the sea. I wasn't much of the surf scene myself because I got very bored at the beach and that's why I got lost into music. It was a real sexist, you know, misogynist type of era. You know, if you want a boyfriend, you have to give out and every girl just wanted a boyfriend with a car so they could go places. <laughs> 
one of the local youth refuges had an idea to put on a free concert and raise money for homeless and unemployed young people. JJJ, rock around. The youth refuge asked ABC radio station Triple J and local TV broadcaster SBS to help. In 1982, Triple J was a Sydney-only station and it was right in the thick of the thriving music scene. It was my job to, like, road manage, stage produce, announce these concerts. John Diamond was part of Triple J's live music team. And we used to go out in the J's and take the van. I mean, I can remember going to the Bondi Lifesaver, which was called the Swap, for various reasons. You go there and swap your partner. He'd organised outdoor music shows before. The first step, get the local council on board. We'd go out there with our clean jeans on and nice shirts and say, we'd like to do this, and especially this one, and raise money. And they said, oh, that sounds like a good idea, but you'd make sure that you had the youngest councillor at the meeting. The second step, talk to the cops. We asked the police to wear civvies. Don't turn up in your uniforms, because half the audience won't be there. <laughs> They'll run. For the Wanda Beach concert, the plan was to set the stage up at the bottom of the hill, creating a natural amphitheatre. The audience would have a view of the bands and the beautiful blue ocean beyond. But at the top of the hill was residential houses, and all of the action would take place right in front of these properties. John Diamond knew the damage a big crowd could do, so in preparation for the concert, he went and spoke to the homeowners. This is going to be one hell of a concert. I said, oh, it's going to be people fornicating on your lawns and vomiting and throwing all their beer bottles and cans all over the place. It's what kids do. On the Wanda Beach 1982 lineup were some of the most exciting bands of the time. You had opening acts, Spy vs. Spy and Machinations. Followed by New Zealand new wave band, My Sex. We were just back from touring America and we'd signed a deal with Epic Records. My Sex had been based in Sydney since the late 70s. Keyboardist Murray Byrne says after touring the local scene, they had a crack offshore. When we played New York, you know, we played three sold-out shows, you know, two or three thousand people. So it was really exciting. I don't know, we, we were pretty high. By the early 80s, My Sex were a big name, and the band playing after them at Wanda Beach had been looking up to them for years. You know, My Sex were huge. Yeah, I was a fan. That band was in excess. It was, it was a really fun time. In Excess band members Kirk Pengilly and Tim Farris. We were just starting to like get really big in Australia. So you had Spy vs Spy, Machinations, My Sex and In Excess. And then there was the headline act. Let's rock! In 1982, Midnight Oil were on the up. It was a, a time of growth for us. Jim Magini from Midnight Oil. A bit of a coming of age was about to happen. We didn't know that, of course. The Oils were gaining momentum, but their first number one album and their legendary Goat Island concert were still years away. In 82, they were just like any other Sydney band trying to make it. Lots of late nights, lots of car drives, lots of trips to up and down the Hume or up and down the Princess Highway up to Brisbane or wherever, even driving to Adelaide. We just made an album called Place Without a Postcard over in England with superstar producer Glenn Johns, who'd done the Stones and the Beatles and the Kinks and everybody else. We were back in Australia touring our asses off to make up the shortfall of all the money we spent in England, which is the usual situation for Australian bands going overseas in those days. Sydney cider Chrissy Vincent was a teenager in 1982. Chrissy grew up in Western Sydney and loved going to music gigs, 
And when she heard about the Wanda Beach concert, she had to be there. Me and a couple of girlfriends were like, let's go, let's go to this. And we had also been going to Wanda Beach as Westies, catching the train to Cronulla, walking up, sitting at Wanda Beach, watching the surfies, you know, just <laughs> trying to be cool, not being cool. This quiet beachside spot had no idea what was about to hit. It was a Sunday morning, I remember, and uh, we arrived at uh, Wanda Beach quite early. About half past seven in the morning. Going to be a long day. Keith Walker is with John Diamond in the Triple J Live music team. My role was really on the operational technical production side to make sure that the bands sounded great. We faithfully presented them in an audio sense that sounded like their records or as close to their records as we could do it on the time but with that sort of live electric vibrant vibe that a live performance offers the january day of the gig is not the sunny beach weather organizers are expecting it's gray and drizzly but that doesn't stop anyone from turning up we were told there's probably going to be five thousand people there about 10 or 11 things started to happen the crowd start turning up with their sandwiches and their girlfriends and boyfriends and some with kids it was just mayhem the cars were everywhere and there was no one's going oh look this is where the band parked murray burns from my sex so i'm just sort of edging closer and closer to the thing and people are like he's a fucking wanker in the porsche <laughs> and i thought i was going to get stuck in the sand because it was the whole thing was just was really not well organized the stage was looked like it had been knocked up by local builders. <laughs> I knew it was going to sound amazing because the PA, I'd never seen a PA that big for an Australian outdoor show. The gig started around midday. Spy vs Spy machinations kicked things off. I looked at it at about 12 and it was like starting to pack it. Local girl Becky Swan was 15 years old. She was one of thousands of fans making their way to the gig. I was probably just walked up from our house along the Esplanade. I think I got there early because I could see the stage. I was standing at the back where the Esplanade joins the beach. Chrissy Vincent, on the other hand, wasn't a Sutherland Shire local. She had to drive there. I got this little blue Honda light. It was a tiny little thing. I remember getting there reasonably early because we wanted to see all the bands that were playing. We lucked out and got a park at the top of the hill. It looked down onto the stage and onto the beach. So if you sat in your car, there was no one in standing in front of the car, you could see the stage. Sometime in the afternoon, my sex hit the stage at Wanda Beach. I went, this isn't 5,000 people. You gotta see what you all look like from up here, it looks fantastic. And all the buggers are packed in down the front of the stage, like sardines. It was a little bit mayhem going on. We didn't know how many were going to turn up, maybe 11, 12,000. That was good at one of our concerts. You know, I went, okay, this is gonna be really an amazing time. 25,000, that's unbelievable. 25,000 people are about to have the time of their life. Paul Dunningham, our new drummer, the first time he'd done a really big show, so he was quite nervous, but he was excited. We all were. You know, the crowd were just so up for it. Song we playing on your radio, whether it be FM or AM, the thing inside me, falling in and out. 
so many stripped off bodies, not naked, but you know, it was really cool. Falling in and out with you. As my sex leave the stage, the Triple J crew realise there's a problem brewing. Here's the MC, Stuart Cranny. And as you probably noticed, I mean, if you're not in too drugged out of hood, um, the rain is imminent, right? Now, if you'd excuse me for just a moment so I can explain something to you. If the rain gets so heavy that it starts to affect the equipment, then we got no choice, right? Someone might get electrocuted. <laughs> People standing in water with electricity, that's not funny. But it's okay for the time being. A clear and present danger. I mean, it could have killed the gig. I mean, it could have killed someone in the band. <laughs> pretty much, hang on, let me tell you. Pretty much at this point, because of the weather, I was just talking to the people who were running the thing, and pretty much at this point, it's up to you. What a stupid thing to say. had <laughs> 25,000 people out there ready to stone the poor bugger. Will we call it off or will we continue? No, let it happen. We'll just take our clothes off and have a shower. We have another lost kitty announcement. Before the next band, there's a bit of housekeeping to get through. Remember, no mobile phones in 1982. Steve Ryan, your sister's waiting for you over that side of the stage. Wonder Beach wasn't just about putting on a good day for music fans. It was a concert with a cause. I don't know how much you would pay to get in to see all these bands, but a couple of bucks in the bucket is going to go to help people who are probably friends of yours. You got any friends who don't have a job? Volunteers walked through the crowd collecting money, but with 25,000 people on site, it was a challenge. SBS TV presenter Barsha Bonkowski from Rock Around the World is invited on stage. There's Remember, a rip-off going down. Don't give money to anyone unless they're wearing a Youth Refuge t-shirt or and the Youth Refuge sign on their buckets, OK? With ominous clouds lingering, they push on. The next band hits the stage. ready for this one. I want you to give a special round of applause because they have flown thousands of miles for this. Straight from New Zealand and the Sweetwater Festival. We'd performed in New Zealand with Cultures or January. I remember that tour, so... Yeah, yeah, you should, Tim. <laughs> Tim drank the bar in one of the hotels and became a legend amongst Cultures. But anyway... Um... No! Woo! This looks as big as Sweetwater's! A lot of their gear had been left or hadn't, hadn't made it through. With the band. And half our crew didn't didn't make it. They didn't get back from New Zealand, so we had no stage guy or anything. Murray from my sex to the rescue. I'm fairly sure Andrew Farris used my keyboards. I know that they took my Prophet 5 in and he reprogrammed a whole bunch of stuff on it. Despite the lack of gear and crew, Murray says in excess were incredible that day. The set was tight, the energy was enormous, and the crowd went wild. 
sitting on the side of the stage with Steve Gilpin. My sex is lead singer. And we were looking at each other going, oh my God, these guys are just so good. And Steve said, they're going to do what we've been trying to do in America. They're going to take it to the next level. Here's a new song which will be in our next album. It's got one thing. In 1982, In Excess were a band on the rise. They'd released two well-received albums and their popularity was growing. But they weren't yet the international superstars they'd become. It was just the uh, whole impression of seeing a band that you knew were on a journey and, and they would end. You know, I'd never seen Michael Hutchins live and he was just on form. You know, the whole band was. Miguel! Hello, everybody! Right out the back! All right! We can fuck this weather. It doesn't matter one bit. As In Excess are tearing it up on stage, Chrissy Vincent, whose tiny blue car was parked on the top of the hill, makes her way into the crowd. I remember seeing In Excess because I was just a huge In Excess fan at that time. Absolutely loving it and they were just, they were on fire. Cronulla local Becky Swan is in the thick of it. Surrounded by people I didn't know but they were all young people dancing, having fun and I'm sure I got bumped about a bit. Go! Everybody's got to stay there! By the time In Excess finished their blistering set at Wanda Beach, the summer rain has gotten heavier. You can hear it pelting down on the Triple J recording. All right, in excess, yeah, in the rain, in excess. It's late afternoon and Chrissy heads back to her car at the top of the hill to take shelter. When it rained, we were like, okay, we, we can sit in the car, this is awesome. <laughs> we can sit in the car and watch. But of course we couldn't because everyone by that stage was standing up and around. There was people everywhere, so they were all around the car. There's even people hanging out their windows and sitting on the roof of their houses at the top of the hill. The atmosphere in the crowd is at fever pitch. And then the final band takes the stage. When Midnight Oil came on, it started boring. <laughs> Poor guys. <laughs> We had a crowd that was completely saturated in front of us, like a tribal gathering on a, on a muddy hillside in the Shire. Jim Magini from Midnight Oil. The crowd was extraordinary, just absolutely amazing, completely into it, just dancing their asses off. Everyone started going bananas, and these guys were just jumping, I was standing up on cars, you know, all around me, and I was getting really panicked because I'm like, they're gonna stand on my poor little blue car. And I was really starting to freak out. It was like a, a Woodstock sort of thing, you know. There wasn't any security guards to speak of. There wasn't any restrictions on what you could drink or take or smoke or imbibe. It was a pretty lawless environment, as was the whole live music scene in Australia then. Pete sort of took his shirt off and the whole thing just went a bit bananas. I mean, he was dancing crazily, played our set at breakneck speed. When I see the film, I think they sped the film up, but they didn't actually. It looked, that was the speed we played and, and how we moved. Incredibly fast and incredibly precise. Charlie McMahon jumps on stage for a didgeridoo solo. 
Triple J's John Diamond is standing side of stage. I remember Peter lighting a flare on stage. Where are my flares? He was dancing around, I thought, no, don't you throw that into the ground. He didn't, he hung on to it, and the audience just went apeshit. They just went nuts There was so much energy coming off the stage. I mean, you could see it in their faces, and I could feel it in the truck while I was mixing. I could feel that energy. One of the things that Midnight All had above all else was intense energy on stage. Meanwhile, Becky is now right down the front staring up at a shirtless, sweating Peter Garrett. I remember the rain or the sweat coming off his head and then it would hit me. I'm going, I hope it's not sweat, but it's probably sweat from his head because he always sweats when he dances. And they were undercover, so it must have been his sweat. It was a whole lot of liquids together. <laughs> There was a tarpaulin over the stage and that would just regularly fill up with rain and then would drop its contents onto the back of Martin's amp. So his amp was crackling all the way through. Somehow they babied it to keep it going through the whole set. We wouldn't have had spare amps or anything in those days. At one point in their set, Peter Garrett rips the mic off its stand and the stand goes sliding along the stage in the water. A roadie appears out of nowhere and slide tackles the stand and whips it off stage. You know, it was the making of the bands. If it, if it didn't kill you, it would be your, you know, saviour. Those sort of shows and those sort of conditions. The energy, the intensity, and then it was all over. I mean, I just felt emotionally drained. That whole process of mixing a band in that sort of energy is actually physically draining. Alive to wear, is one of the most exhilarating things anyone could do in their lives. Elation, exhaustion, inebriation, and a very muddy mess. I've just got this vision, sort of, when everyone left of this absolute monumental pile of garbage everywhere. There was water about two foot deep in front of the stage. It was just like, like Woodstock going down to the stage and under front of us. And there were kids there smashing bottles and we're going, oh, don't walk through there unless you've got shoes on because the glass is going to cut your feet. Like Becky, tens of thousands of music fans have had an incredible day. After the gig finished, I think I waited for the crowd to disperse so I could get out, but it was on the beach so I could make my way up the beach to the Esplanade to where we lived. And because it was night time, Mum and Dad would have been in the Cronulla Workers Club next door, so I wasn't going to go in there. So I would have walked home. My sister was home, that's right. She saw that I was absolutely wet. I said, oh, I've just been to see Midnight Oil. And the story doesn't end when the concert wound up. The reason Wanda Beach has become so iconic is because of what happened after. Midnight Oil were about to have their breakthrough moment. We uh, went over to London and then made a record call 10 to 1. Then our fortunes changed after that when we came back later in 1982 to Australia. We played the Capitol Theatre five nights in a row. finally had songs, many songs, singles and things that they could play on the radio and that changed our audience quite a lot and our fortunes did change a bit after that and the touring started in earnest, especially overseas. Went to America the next year and um, spent a lot of t more time in London and off we went on our, on our journey.
and in excess, well. The record company that signed us up, Atco Records they were called, the head of uh, at the time, yeah, Reen Nally, she flew out to Australia and, and came to a couple of gigs. It'd be sweaty, there'd be condensation dripping off the ceiling, guys with shirts off, fights. Michael was like a lion, you know, prowling the stage with a long mane of hair, like this sort of strutting rock guy. So that was quite a transformation. I'm not I'm quite sure how that happened. She'd never seen anything like it and pretty much signed us up on the spot. The following year, 83, we went to America for the first time. The rest is kind of history. Mm. For my sex, though, things went the other way. We were actually pretty wiped out by then. We've been touring Australia for three years non-stop. Our singer, Steve Gilburn, bought a piece of land in Byron Bay and went out there and built a house. Then we lost him. He died in a car accident. It was so sad. So, you know, we would have played again, but it was just, um, wasn't to be. Wanda Beach was one of the last big shows they ever played. Live music experiences like Wanda Beach inspired Chrissy Vincent to take up a career in the music industry. She even worked with Midnight Oil at one point. After I was working at Festival, I worked at Harbour Agency for a little while, which is a big booking agency in Sydney, and it booked all of the bands. After I finished there, I took a job as a maternity leave position at Midnight Oil's office. So I was in the, in the office working with the band. It was, I think it was about 1986, and so I was kind of handling admin-y stuff. The Wanda Beach concert cemented Becky Swan's love of live music. She's been going to gigs and festivals ever since. In the crowd, it's a different atmosphere. I hate to use hippie things, but you know, it's all love and, love and mung beans. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming. We'll see you later. Stay young. Wanda Beach was a pivotal moment in so many people's lives. It deeply impacted those who were there the bands who rocked the hell out of that stage, and the fans who got to see Midnight Oil and In Excess right before they were about to explode. All this on a muddy hill, one soggy Sunday in January at Wanda Beach. It's amazing that it, it has reached this mythical status. You know, of course we should be celebrating our live music. Australian live music is, is just something that needs to be celebrated a lot more. I was just so privileged and so fortunate to be there to be part of it. It was a real honour to be on stage with those two bands. You know, it's a really special piece of Australian history, so I'm blown away that we were part of it. It was the beginning of, of the big time for us, and, and we really felt in excess had arrived, you know, and it was just a, a wonderful achievement for us in a sense. And, and then to see the audience that had turned up for the gig and to be part of it, just gave us a whole heap of confidence and I, and I think it was a you know a big step in our career. Yeah it was an amazing day all around and um, a great day for Australian music. Today the 1982 Wanda Beach gig is remembered as Australia's version of the US's Woodstock Festival. Terrible weather with far more people than expected turning up. And just like Woodstock 
It's also one of those gigs where more people claim to have been there than actually were. A Day at the Beach was produced by Double J's Gab Burke. The sound engineer was Hamish Camilleri. I'm Kirsty Melville, and I hope you can join me for another ride into the past next time here on the History Listen. Catch you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.